0: Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the Church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Morning everybody, it's really fantastic, wonderful to be with you all. And uh, what, a, what a weekend, eh? what a weekend it always is. I, I've i got a special soft spot for, for Easter. Always remember coming home from Marisburg University. Always came home back to Gauteng in my... On, in Easter in my little 1100 Fiat, which just made it up the hills, only just, and then flew down the hills again. And that's how I always came home here, back to Gauteng for Easter. But Easter is a special time. And it's nice to have the children with us this morning. I'm sure they've eaten many Easter eggs, all of you, not only the children. Lots of hot cross buns and all sorts of good things. And it is about that, but clearly as, we, as we've celebrated already this morning, Easter is so much more than all of those things. Special, special day, special time to celebrate. And I trust we'll leave this place. That's my hope, just with even more joy in our hearts and great gratitude to our Lord and our Savior. That's my, that's my hope for this morning. So on Friday, you, those of you who were here, we went through the Stations of the Cross, something that's celebrated uh, and demonstrated in, in many of the more traditional churches. It's really good to do that. It's so, so good to do that because we often forget the great cost, the incredible cost of our Savior, the cost he paid. And we did that on Friday, just being able to remember and go through step by step every station of the cross from the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knew what lay ahead of him and said, Lord, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me because he knew the incredible Cost that lay ahead for him our savior yet he said not my will but your will be done but today we don't concentrate on that we don't concentrate so much today on the cost although it was so immense we don't forget it but we concentrate instead on the fact that jesus rose from the dead that jesus is alive as we've as we've said so much throughout this service already and in the traditional services what do they say together Christ is risen I believe Christ is risen indeed and that is our cry this morning Christ is risen indeed and so my title of what I'm going to share this morning is if you like we did 14 stations of the cross on Friday is the 15th station and that is Jesus is resurrected there is no such station officially but this morning there is our 15th station this morning Jesus is Resurrected. And we read in 1 Corinthians 15 how Paul had to deal with those in Corinth who were challenging the fact that there is a resurrection. And they were saying, But it's this is not so. Our bodies do are never we're not resurrected. Once we dead, we're dead. And Paul had to take them on, and we can read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, and you can read about that. And Paul said to them, If there's no resurrection, then Christ himself has not been raised from the dead. Then what is our faith all about? If there's no resurrection, what is our faith all about? It means Paul said that my preaching has been useless, and your faith is futile, because he who are, we were preaching you and whom your faith was based, has gone to the grave if there's no resurrection. And that means if that were so, and then there was no resurrection. Paul said, you in Corinth would still be dead in your sin and the guilt and condemnation that comes with your sin if Jesus had not been resurrected. And he said we'd be pitied. We needed to be pitied more than any other religion if our hope was only in this life and not a hope beyond the grave. we, We should be pitied if that was our faith. And today, my friends, I've read and, and, and heard of atheists and those that would oppose the Christian faith who still claim that perhaps Jesus was never resurrected from the dead. And they say, well, maybe he was not, in, not dead when he was taken down from the cross. And he recovered then in the tomb, and, and, and maybe that's the explanation. Others, of course, say other things, like his body was pre- perhaps his body was stolen by thieves But people have to deny the resurrection of Christ if they challenge the divinity of Christ. Because wouldn't you agree, nothing speaks more about Jesus being God and divine than the fact that he rose from the dead. Wherever in history has that happened, where death has been conquered. And so they have to declare that Jesus never rose. Because if they don't, they accept that he was God, the divinity of God. And I, I, I've spoken quite a bit. I hope I haven't. I don't know if I've ever shared from this platform, but I know when I've done funerals, I often speak of the greatest event in history. And, and I've thought about it a lot. And so again, if I have put this question to you before, I'm putting it to you again. What would you say is the greatest event ever in the history of the world. And I don't even mean you to look necessarily from, from just our, our Christian point of view. But I've thought about this, and I've thought of so many things, as you might do as you sit here. What would be the greatest event ever in history? Maybe some of the children would say the invention of hot cross buns. I don't know. There have been some lovely hot cross buns this weekend. But, you know, would it be the invention of the aeroplane? Really, think about it. Think about it seriously. What would have been the greatest event for you in the history of mankind? The motor car, invention of some medication perhaps, your cell phone perhaps. You believe some of us didn't have cell phones when we grew up. But yeah, what would it be? And I think for, for me, there's no doubt in my mind that this, the coming of Jesus to earth, The laying down of his life for us, God himself, holy God who he is and was, laying his life down voluntarily, submitting to the insults and, 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 and behavior of those that he had created, going to the cross, laying down his divinity, suffering and rising again from the dead, so important, is for me the greatest event in history. And why would I say that? Because there is no event in history that has affected all generations in that way, in my view. Every single generation, even before Christ came to die on the cross, even those generations are affected and influenced and impacted, and their destiny is determined by what happened on the cross. And every generation to come, till we are taken from this earth, this event in history impacts Those generations, every creed, every color, every age. And the greatest of all, probably reason for saying that, which of any other event that you can think of would influence us even after we have died? There are no airplanes in heaven as far as I know. There's no need for medicine in heaven, that I know. But this event determines and influences us even beyond the grave. It determines our destiny, our eternal destiny. What an event that we celebrate this morning. And even despite all of that, often, I think, the cross is trivialized. And even though I've said all these things, it's very, it's very easy for those who, who, who don't allow the truth of this to impact them. Just to see crosses sold everywhere in every street corner, little pieces of wood, and to lose their significance, they become simply an emblem sometimes, like like a fish. Remember those fish we used to stick on the back of our cars, some of us? Maybe the cross becomes just an emblem, and it loses its reality. But it's something that influences our everyday life and will do forevermore. So as I started and, and, and put together something for this morning, I also thought, but wow, what, what, what am I going to say that is new? who you know people have heard we've all heard about the cross we we know of the crucifixion of jesus so what can i say that is new now i'm afraid my friends this is not new it's the rugged cross it's the old cross it's the ancient cross it's not new it's not meant to be new but it is going to be a powerful preach despite the fact that i'm not at all eloquent because what we speak about today was God's plan for the salvation of every single person and that alone is powerful that alone impacts us like nothing else and in Paul in 1 Corinthians 121 had to deal with this the issue of this of of the simplicity in many ways of the cross you remember that in in talking to the Corinthians, we read about it in 1 Corinthians 1.21. He was saying to those who were saying, but the Greeks, for example, loved wisdom, and they loved, they loved things that, that, that for them were wise and, and, and had depth. And against that background of the wisdom of, of philosophy, here was the simple message of the cross that Paul was speaking. And he says to them, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So Paul reminded them, he said, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, this message is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that amazing? So my friends, let's let's allow the Holy Spirit to, to impact that truth even more even more as we go on this morning and explore some of the issues of Easter. So I was reading, and I can't even give t- credit to the person, so I just need to say that some preachers on, 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 uh, over Easter, and one or two of these points I've taken from, from a preach that I read, because they really made, it, made sense to me. So I'm going to deal with a few of these fundamental issues. There are issues in life that we all deal with, things we grapple with. And I believe Easter the message of Easter speaks to many of these. Let's take, for example, just the issue of hopelessness, of hopelessness. And I recently read an article by a lady called Jill Caratini. She's from RZIM, which is R- Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And she was talking about the Central and Southern African district in about the 1970s and 1980s. And there was mass um, terror that was was, so, was, was being sown there. Death squads that operated quite widely in those areas. I can't remember the politics and why these death squads of the 1970s and 80s were there, but they, were, they, they existed. And the confusion and the terror that these 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 squads caused was, well, obviously they they, they, were, they, they wiped out many people. Many people were killed. Many people were buried. Many people were taken away and just disappeared. And the most impactful thing for many was that they just disappeared. It was part of the tactic of those death squads. The people just disappeared. They couldn't find them. They, they were dead and buried somewhere, but they, would, they disappeared. And, and the horror of that for families and that nation was immense. Lives were cut short you know, people with influence were silenced, and they just disappeared. And in the background against the background of that, there was a liturgy that was introduced in the church at that time, where they would gather every Sunday, and they would call out the names of those people that had disappeared. So we'd sit here in a morning like this, if we were there, and we'd, we'd call out names. And as they called out the names of those that had been silenced, and buried and forgotten, people would shout out "presente," and I think that means here or or, or I'm here or present. Presente. Can you imagine sitting there and, and calling out the names of people, you know, real flesh and blood people who had disappeared? And that the reason for that was to counter this terror of people who just were here today and gone, buried and forgotten, never found. That was the church's answer to that terror of the time. And I think our Easter message, this Easter message, is very much a counter to exactly that kind of thing. Think about what happened in that day when Jesus, who the the disciples had walked with, who who they trusted, who they knew was had something special, had life to give them. And suddenly, they see that tide turning. And Jesus had warned them. He said to them, I will be betrayed and I will go to my death. But they wouldn't believe him. But suddenly, this begins to happen. And, and the, here he is, the one they follow, taken into custody, brought before the, the Sanhedrin and Pilate. And suddenly, he's on the road. He's carrying his cross. And this is the Jesus this is the this is the this is the their teacher them, the one that they look up to and he's and he's and he's being arrested and suddenly cuz it happens quickly they can't believe it he's he's on the cross and he dies he dies and he's gone can you imagine the anguish can you imagine the hopelessness in the disciples of Jesus They'd expected so much. Their hope was in him. Their trust was in him. And now he's dead. He's gone. But the message of Easter, and we've even spoken about it a bit this morning, is that death, death does not mean the end. In Jesus' case, death led to resurrection. And instead of silencing Jesus, what happened? In his resurrection, the voice of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, rung out even more clearly and loudly than it ever did when he was alive. Death, my friends, the Easter message is death does not overcome. Death does not overcome. And we can say, as we read in the scriptures, death, where is your sting? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? And this has implications, obviously, when we look at the life of Jesus, But it also has a message to us in terms of how we look at our loved ones and how we think of our own lives. Human value, my friends, isn't this so? Human value cannot be extinguished by death. Human value, our value, cannot be distinguished or extinguished, sorry, by death. That's the message of Easter too for you and I. There's hope for us. There's hope for our loved ones. That this earth and the inevitability of death is not the end, it's actually the beginning. There's a hope in Easter and the Easter message. I think there's something else, too, that this Easter message raises in our hearts, hopefully, and reminds us of. One, that we live beyond the grave. That Jesus lives beyond the grave. That we serve a living God forever. And that there's hope for you and I beyond the grave. But what about the other aspect of just who we are because of what Jesus did? When we look around, and you and I live in a world where there's lots of pressure, lots of of deadlines, things we've got to do, perform at work and otherwise, we look at our politicians and we know the story. There's corruption. There's a fallen world and there's, there's greed and there's violence. And the world is sometimes very challenging. But this is our world. This is where we live. Isn't the message of Easter also exactly what, what Brandon was speaking about a little earlier this morning? The fact that this is not who we are. That we are to live a victorious life in this fallen system in Johannesburg today, 2018, because of what Christ did on the cross for us. His victory, my friends, is your victory and my victory. And so we have a fallen world. We have the pressures of life, the pressures of Johannesburg. But we are citizens of a new kingdom that Jesus ushered in over Easter. Does that make sense? I love that. Amen. Thank you. That's what it is, my friends. That's what Easter reminds us of is that we don't define ourselves, you and I, by the world system. We don't have to define ourselves by that. Our identity is in Jesus, the risen Lord. That's who we are. That's how we define ourselves. And we can live victorious lives here on earth because of the kingdom of God that was ushered in when Jesus rose from the dead. And so, my friend, I want to suggest to us that we take we take courage this morning yes as I said today is a day of joy but also take courage in being reminded that that we are citizens of heaven we don't have to find our our identity in anything in this world other than in Christ the risen Lord the risen Lord and I I, as I prepared as well I've got a favorite scripture that that I I don't I try not to go back to on but it keeps coming back and finding its way into, into, into various preachers of mine. Psalms 33.9 says, He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood for, firm. It says, The Lord foils the plans of nations, and He thwarts the purposes of the people. But His plans, the plans of the Lord, stand firm forever, and the purposes of His heart throughout all generations. And his purposes are that you and I would live victorious lives. That's his purpose from all generations. He spoke and it, was, and it stood firm. And one day he will come back for all of us. And we will go to be with him. But right now, he says, my plan is for you and I to have victory in him. It's a, that can never be shaken. Nothing can shake the reality of that. The second thing is hopelessness, I think, is dealt with by the message of the cross. What about guilt? This issue of guilt. And I think many of us and, and the world has this problem. We either don't believe that we are sinful, or we know deep down that we are sinful. Many times I think what we do is, because we, we think we're sinful, we may be sinful, we just change the rules. And we say, oh, well, okay... So I'll change rules as long as I only kick the dog once a week, I'm okay. Or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't physically beat up my wife, I, so it's okay if I occasionally just speak harshly to her. So I change the rules so that I don't feel guilty. But many of us know we're guilty. Many of us know that we are sinful. And if we're really honest, I'm sure we know that in our hearts. And Easter raises that question for me. Easter is about God's plan for salvation. Why did God do that? Why would God who's, who's the Lord of all the creator of all things actually put in place such a plan where he comes to earth dies on a cross for us is risen again from the dead that we might have life. Why does he do that? If it wasn't for the fact that we are all sinful because he didn't come and do that just for one or two of us. He came because the word of God says that we've all of us, every one of us, fallen short of the glory of God. So we are sinful, my friends. And we try to hide that guilt that comes with our sin. The world does. We do before we knew Christ. And we do do it in many ways. Some try to do good. Join some charity organization or just do things that are good, good deeds. Some of us pursue pleasure. We think if we laugh loud enough, we won't hear that voice reminding us of our guilt. So we go and we we, we seek pleasure to drown out the fact that maybe there's something that is alerting us to the fact that we're not right. Others of us become very religious, extremely religious. We do the religious things, but maybe without the relationship with God... And none of those things actually remove our guilt from us because the root of our problem is that we are sinful and that He is holy and that we can't find relationship, restored relationship with a holy God because of our sin. Now, these things that we try will never, never remove our sin and our guilt. But the message of Easter clearly is that God's sacrifice on the cross for you and I, not only removes our sin, but it removes the guilt of our sin, breaks the power of sin in our lives, and takes away every guilt and every condemnation that you and I might ever have. Isn't that amazing news? Isn't that incredible? And so, my friends, there's another aspect to this as well, that He takes away our sin and our guilt. But He also, and we can't get away from this, the other side of it is that Romans 5.9 says, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more will we, be, will we be saved from God's wrath through Him? And there is that aspect that if we do not accept the gift of God's salvation, there will be a judgment. There is a, the wrath of God that comes, with the sin and guilt that I've spoken about, and I remember going on a camp, the recent camp at, at school, where this came up, and the question was, well, how could God? Yes, He's a loving God because He died for me on the cross, and He suffered as He suffered. But how could He also, at the same time, then be a God that, that that brings judgment to those who don't accept His gift? How can He be both a loving God? And I, I, there's a story that you may have heard. It is a story. It doesn't. it, it has some loop. It has some holes in it from logic side but of a judge have you heard the story before of a judge who loved the law who in fact wrote the law who who loved everything about the law who realized the necessity of the law who sat in his court one day and before him unfortunately for him appeared his very own son the judge's son who knew the law but it willfully and purposely broken the law the law that the, the judge held so dearly because he understood its necessity and this judge then had to had to decide and rule on the sin or the or the transgression of his son and those in the court who, who knew this were watching closely to say to see how he would do this would he would he judge his own son or would he find favor and, and somehow exclude the punishment that was due him because he was guilty. And to the horror of some, the judge imposed the harshest of sentences, the sentence that was required for his own son, because he knew he had no other choice. The law that he loved and understood the judge did had to be imposed. Yet when he stood down at the end of the sentence, and the son was being led off, The sentence was a huge amount of money that he was unable to pay. The judge took off his wig and his robe, and he went to the sheriff of the court. No longer the judge, but now the father, the father of the son. And he said, I will pay. I will pay. I will pay the fine for my son. And that fine entailed that the judge had sold everything he owned, every last thing he had sold. It cost him everything he owned so that he could pay the debt of his son. And that's the story for me of the love and the justice or judgment of our God. It's an incredible piece for me of ability to understand the love of God. And then just maybe one or two things further, loneliness. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And many of us are lonely because we don't fit into the world's The world standards we're not the fastest runners we're not the best sportsmen. we don't look like some in the gym all honed and muscularly and we don't we don't we're not the brightest in our class we don't meet those standards and so we feel we don't fit in but Jesus says the end of this time when he's when he's when he's risen again from the dead in Matthew 28 he says I will never leave you or forsake you and there are many of us who feel we don't fit in We don't fit into the world, but Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and that only makes sense if Jesus rose from the dead. If he had not risen from the dead, what sense would it make for him to say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but because he rose from the dead, my friends, you and I will always have the presence of God with us, and this church is a place where Because we are Christ's body, the lonely should feel at home. Challenge to us all as as God's body. Are we those people that accept the lonely and are Christ reaching out to the lonely? And finally, our weakness. We are people who are often weak. How many of you sitting here would say to me, but I'm disappointed in myself, let alone the fact that I may have disappointed others? How many of us feel that we don't always reach the goals we set for ourselves? For many, our our life is just a cycle of of maybe defeat or at least not hitting the marks we set for ourselves. And I think one of the most powerful scriptures is in Ephesians 1.18. And we've been dealing with Ephesians, haven't we? We've been looking at Ephesians. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the heart, your hearts may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What does it say further? That power, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And because of this resurrection that we know and celebrate this morning, we have that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and I. And we need never feel weak or out of control. Jesus is our strength. The risen Lord is our strength. I'm finishing off now, my friends. But I do feel that there needs to be a response. We need to respond. And let's just look quickly at some of the responses. How did people respond in the Scripture to this, to this incident of Jesus dying and ro- ro- being risen again from the dead? How did Mary respond? You remember Mary was in the tomb. She called the others to come because she found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. And she walked into the tomb and she, and she was bewildered. She, it says she looked around and, and she asked the angels who, who said, well, why are you weeping? She said, they have taken away my Lord. And I cannot find him. And then she turned to the, who she thought was the gardener in the tomb. Didn't recognize that it was Jesus himself. And Mary says, but have you taken him somewhere? Tell me if you've taken him that I might go and find him. And it's only when Jesus says her name, Mary, that she recognizes that it is him. That was her response. Where do I find Jesus? Jesus. And then, the response was when Jesus called her personally and said, Mary. And she knew that he was Jesus. How many of us sitting here this morning, it was mentioned by Heath. Isn't God wonderful the way he works? Maybe we're looking for a sign this morning. Maybe this is the time when Jesus speaks your name as he spoke Mary's name. And he says to you personally, personally, today's the day. I call your name. Think of your name as you sit here. Maybe Jesus calls your name this morning and says, I died for you personally. Hear me. I call your name this morning. John John and, 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 uh, and Peter ran to the tomb after Mary had told them. And it says that John ran and he was faster. It's a bit like Heath and Trevor running to the tomb. Heath gets there first because Heath, Heath is young. Sorry, Trevor. That happened to, to, to John. John. John got there first. But what does it say? He says he got there, and he, he looked inside, but he didn't go in. He, he hung back. Peter, however, arrived later, and he just went straight in. And Jesus, and he went into the tomb, and it says later there, Peter saw the linen cloth, and he believed. But are you maybe a John? Am I a John sometimes? I know I am. Where I hang back. I don't want to go in. I, I, I just pull myself back. Maybe God is saying to us and to you this morning, don't pull back. Don't be a John that stands on the edge. Now's the day, perhaps today's the day, when God says, step forward, step forward. And then there's Thomas, who we know well. Thomas. Later, Jesus appears to all of his disciples as they're meeting in a room, but, but Thomas is not there. And later, they tell Thomas, they say, Thomas, the Lord appeared to us, he was here. And he says, well, I don't believe it. I won't believe that. I don't believe that. Until I can put my hands in his side and feel his hands, I will not believe that he's risen. Until Jesus does exactly that for him later. And he places his hands, Thomas's hands in his side. And Thomas believes. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Maybe you're sitting here, and I can tell you I was as a young man, Very skeptical. Maybe there's some sitting here this morning that are skeptical like Thomas. Very skeptical. But God says, I'm not not deterred by that. There's still room for you to believe, even though you may have lots of skepticism in your heart this morning. God is calling to you this morning in the same way. So as I conclude, it's been very quiet this morning, but I hope (laughs) that God has spoken to you. It is a message that is simple, but it's not foolishness. It's God's plan. So this morning as we end, I do know, I know God wants us to respond. Respond to his, the greatest sacrifice that could have been made for you, the greatest act of love that could ever have been shown, Jesus' act on the cross. And so I ask you, if you've, never, if you've never responded to God's great gift of salvation to you, And if you're hearing him call your name perhaps this morning, don't hesitate and stand back like John. And even if you doubt, perhaps today's the day where you say, well, I do doubt, but I've heard enough to come forward and accept the gift of God's salvation. And if you're in any of those categories, I would ask you as we end off this morning's service to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you and allow you to accept God's gift of salvation for you personally. Then for the others of us who've been walking a road perhaps for a long time with God, He also wants us to respond as I finish off now. Matthew 16, 24 says, If you want to become followers, if anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those who want to save their lives will lose them. And those who lose their lives for my sake and for the gospel will save them. So I ask, I know, I've had to ask myself this. Am I taking up my cross? Do I still pursue those things for my interest, things that are not of God? Do I put those things first? And I know God calls me today and you. It says, are we taking up our cross? Are we denying ourselves for the sake of His kingdom, the kingdom that I spoke about, of the risen Christ? And He asks us to make a fresh commitment this morning to denying ourselves and walking in the fullness of what the risen Christ has for each one of us. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please can I ask that, we do, that you do come forward, and that we do have a time of prayer, If anything that I've spoken about this morning has touched you, let's not leave this place until we do that. Praise be to God.